0: Welcome to The World Awaits.
1: Travel tales to inspire your wanderlust.
0: I'm Kirsty Bedford, journalist, editor and travel writer.
1: And I'm Belinda Jackson, author, travel journalist and columnist and we're your weekly co-hosts. Hello and welcome back. How are you this week, Belle? Um, Great, thanks Kirsty. I've had my head down. I'm writing about turtle tracking on remote islands in the Northern Territory. I'm writing about fabulous Malaysian state of Sarawak in Borneo. And I'm also writing about top five European hotspots. How about you? What great things to be writing about! Um, it's been a busy week for me
0: too over at Signature Media. We've just put the fortieth anniversary issue of Vacations and Travel to print, VNT's Australia's longest-running travel magazine. So it was a pretty special issue, and you can look out for it in the newsstands in the next week. It's filled with forty places to stay, forty experiences, and top forty destinations. And I'll post a link in the show notes to where you can subscribe because if you want to get one delivered to your door, because it's um, a pretty special addition to hold on to.
1: Oh, I can't wait to read it. I'm sure that there are plenty of places to stay that have great outdoor showers and tubs. And the the reason for this um, rather weird segue is because um, last week when I interviewed Kathleen Olive on the show, her most bizarre travel memory was when she accidentally showered with her street-level windows open onto Italy's most glamorous town, Bellagio. And it got me thinking about the incredible outdoor showers and tubs around the world where you do actually want to get your gear off. <laughs> (laughs)
0: To be honest, I have actually had a similar experience in Fiji where I've been blissfully showering in the outdoor shower. Can I say it was actually attached to my villa, so it's not like Uh. I'm stripped down and paraded myself outside. But little (laughs) did I know there were local men climbing the coconut trees (laughs) outside to do maintenance. So uh, yes, needless to say, it it was bathers all the way from there on.
1: Ah, nice. Yeah, look, I've had some great shower, outdoor shower experiences too. Most recently at the new Superlux Jumeirah Bali down near Uluwatu. It was extremely private, can I say, with very high stone walls. But my villa was actually right beside the massive reception, so you could hear movement on the other side, which kept my showers a bit short. A mm, bit off putting, isn't it?
0: And <laughs> Bali and Fiji aren't the only ones with incredible outdoor showers, though. Didn't you have an experience in Oman too, Belle?
1: Yeah, I've I've got a great memory of showering under the hot Arabian sun in the Six Senses Resort in Ziggy Bay in northern Oman, which is not normally the region you'd associate with such experiences. And also the Maldives, which does a masterclass in outdoor bathing with outdoor showers and tubs suspended above lagoons. Gorgeous, gorgeous.
0: Oh, and besides our outdoor shower faux pas, there are some amazing outdoor bathtub experiences too, starting with a myriad in Africa. I mean, soaking in a deep tub full of bubbles while wildlife roam meters beside you. It's pretty a magical experience, actually. Um, check out Summer uh, Lisa Camp in Zimbabwe for one that is a very exceptional experience and then in Vietnam Six Senses in Ninh Van Bay there are some handmade wooden bathtubs overlooking the ocean and closer to
1: home at Alquistro in the Kimberley there's also an outdoor bath overlooking a gorge. Oh I found myself in that tub too, not at the same time but um, (laughs) gorgeous spot and in Kakadu a couple of weeks ago um, Coinda's new tented villas have outdoor baths outdoor tubs on their balconies. And did you try that one too Belle? Uh I didn't go I didn't go in because they're so new. They were still getting the screening plants up in between each tent, so I thought I'd spare the neighbours. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, tell me, who are you chatting to this week, Kirsty? This week I
0: caught up with social entrepreneur, New York best-selling author and founder of adventure travel company G Adventures, Bruce purn Tip. Bruce was lo- has long been known for his work in community tourism, championing the cause of ensuring we give back to the communities we visit. And he talked to me from Toronto about over-tourism and what you can do as an individual to ensure you're not just treading lightly when you travel, but you're leaving a destination in a better place than when you came. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you chatting to us today. Let's start by just talking about your latest accolade, Officer of the Order of Canada, which made you the first person in the Canadian travel industry to receive the title of Officer in 34 years. You must be incredibly proud about that.
2: Yeah, it was a shock, actually. Yeah, it was. um, I mean, I I, I knew I was getting recognized. Uh, There's a a long investigation period, but... um, you know there's a member and then there's a higher order which is the officer so i was quite uh, pleasantly surprised when uh, when it, when i got the call
0: so so tell us about sort of um how how g adventures started and how you got how you got into launching your business
2: well we started 33 years ago this year this september uh, back in 1990 you know travel was just very different and we had a view on you know and on, on Community tourism. Like when we first started, it was about bringing people to local communities and having cultural kind of immersion type experiences. Back in 1990, people, you know, it was completely different. People researched travel differently. I mean, you know, there was no internet. I didn't even have a fax machine actually when I started. My first reservations I did by post, by mail. <laughs> um, so, you know, we kind of, you know, spearheaded a whole, um, you know, style of tourism, and we were, it was extremely innovative at the time. And even though, like in the mid-90s, ecotourism came to, you know, kind of link um, environment and tourism, and then sustainable tourism and responsible tourism—all these different—we always were very focused on community and community development, and how tourism can be a transformational industry for local communities if done right, with local communities benefiting. And also being in part involved in the dialogue of creating tourism for our customers, and so with that, you know, we've done a lot of great work over the years. Um, we're, 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 we've become, you know, tied to poverty alleviation through tourism because when when there's extreme poverty and you know and, and tourism kind of link because we're traveling to some of the poor, forty poorest countries in the world. Um, travel can be this transformational vehicle for wealth distribution and poverty alleviation. so we've done a lot of great work over the years we've become kind of globally um, acknowledged as the, you know, the, the world leader in our space and you know because of that through our foundation Planetara, um yeah, we were we were recognized by the can- the Order of Canada, which has been I guess ultimately through the, the king because it's through the, our Governor General through the, the royal family and it's, it's quite an honor.
0: You obviously uh, walk the walk uh, rather than just talk the talk. So tell us a bit about, uh, you know, what are some of the things that travelers can do and what what are some of the things that you're doing and the places people can go where you can genuinely really make a difference?
2: I mean, there's. I mean, there's. There, there's. There's lots of different things you can do. I mean, the the main thing uh, is, you know, is is about local impact, right? Like our cultural and and cultural heritage preservation. So there's many ways in which you can look to, at sustainability. There's obviously you know connected to environment and you know climate change and also as um, you know poverty alleviation, community development, all of these different things which all link towards sustainability. Um, so you know, travelers first of all can you know you know. You know, get off cruise ships, get off comp- get off compound resorts, um, spend money with local communities, local hotels, local restaurants. You know, shop in different shops that are locally owned, and spread your wealth when you travel. I mean, that's the best thing you can do when you travel. And suddenly, your idea of going on holidays is not just transformational for you; it's transformational for um, people locally. It's the the problem is we you know with with business models today where you know money is, doesn't stay in the local economy um you know local local communities are not benefiting from the growth of tourism in those countries and that's not a sustainable model
0: and it, and it really seems back to what you've talked about in the past which is about how we're we're becoming unconscious consumers can you a- mm-hmm. explain a little bit about what that means
2: well well tourism tour, tourism used to be just a one-way experience and, and and until kind of we came around and to kind of to you know, pose the question that you know it's not just about your experience. And it's that that idea that travel is my right and not a privilege. And and really travel is a privilege of the west western world. Like there's very few people on the planet that have disposable income at the time to be able to go on to go on holidays and say they want to go on holidays. And so that's a that's a real privileged position that we have. Um, and it's not a right um so you know uh, you know to so, so travel so travelers who you know have the it traditionally has been this one-way experience of you know what you're going to get out of your experience what you're going to see you know you paying for luxury services or paying for a level of service so you get the comforts of home um that one-way experience is um you know really something that we've, we've questioned at g adventures for years and said you know it, it isn't you know there's so many more people that can benefit when you go on holidays and you can have that luxury you can have that amazing holiday you can have that amazing experience but if done the right way um, it's transformational for everyone so it's it's you know it's it's a whole community that benefits once you decide to go on holidays
0: I think probably one of the most powerful ways I've seen a demonstration of this was in your new travel documentary the last tourist can you tell us a bit about that why you decided to launch that and and what are some of the, the Uh, the the things I mean you know it is when you watch that and you see uh, people um, the way wildlife is treated uh, and people going into orphanages and taking photos with the children in there it's it's really moving and I think it really hits home about exactly what you're talking about so obviously that was the the reason behind doing that can you talk to us a little bit about that
2: yeah, I mean, The Last Tourist was a crazy project <laughs> that, you know, it started as just an idea of us doing a movie on our iPhones, um, just just telling our story to realizing this is a, you know, this is a big story and, and you know, it's kind of motivated because I, I'm highly in demand for public speaking around the world and my messages j- just resounds with whether it's travelers or travel industry, you know, usually, you know, standing ovations with people that really resonate with the message of you know and i can only do so much cuz i have a company to run as well and so i wrote a book in you know 2013 and the next medium for us was was a documentary to get that message across uh, because people really understand it when you when you put it in front of them i i, I always say the last tourist didn't present you know new ideas i mean everything there is uh, i think that people knew happened but when presented to you and you're confronted with it it makes you think um, and but I, but ultimately the movie is a message of hope on how tourism can be so much better and we can be so much better when we decide to go on vacation. Um, so yeah, so it was an idea that you know five years ago we started um, and it grew. Then eventually we we hired a writer and then a director, and then we did the, you know then I funded it and we did it all backwards. Then we have to sell it to the movie industry mm-hmm. and the documentary industry, and um, and it was a learning experience. But it's been ex- it's been extremely powerful and very successful.
0: We'll put a link in the show notes to where people can watch that because it is really very moving and, and a good demonstration of exactly what you're talking about. So can you tell us specifically about some of the places that are doing it you know, poorly and some of the places that are actually doing things you know, in a way that we should be supporting and encouraging?
2: I mean, some of the best countries, I mean, in Australia, I mean, um, you know, uh, New Zealand does, does, does very well Costa Rica, these countries that have really built a, 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 a long term um, plan on sustainability, um, community development, creating, uh, you know, preserving of natural uh, heritage and, and cultural heritage. Um, you know, and putting it at the forefront of the business model, and, and New Zealand and the 100% pure campaign started it. I think it was 25 years ago. Now, um, I was involved in you know in, in you know some of the uh, original kind of uh, launches of. I, I spoke in New Zealand a few times with the launch of that campaign, and it's had its ups and downs, mind you. But but the, the, with that that resounding message has always been very clear, and, and it's filtered right down to the the op, tour operators and, and and sellers of tourism in New Zealand. Um, you know, Costa Rica is another great example of that. Belize is a company, you know, a country which is, you know, it's, it's a very small country and um, very hard to travel to buy from Australia. But again, doing it very, very well. And Australia too. I mean, Australia has, you know, Australia has an issue because it's got so many different, it's such a massive tourism market. It's never really completely nailed it. Um, but, the, the, but the intention is there for, with Australian tourism and, and they've, 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 they've kind of moved in the right direction because you know, there's a great opportunities in Australia for Indigenous tourism as well. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of, you know, the, 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 the issues is, you know, where countries aren't doing it well, is the countries that kind of are highlighting this problem with over-tourism. You know, like uh, the, the the Venices of the world, the Machu Picchus of the world, where people, you know, mass amounts of people congregate, and how you handle mass tourism like that and over tourism.
0: So, what what are some tips that you can give as an individual traveller? How can I make sure that I that I'm making the right decisions uh, and having mm-hmm. having a positive impact?
2: It really is just about doing a little bit more research, scratching the surface on the companies you book, you book with, asking questions, um, because everyone should know. Like when you book anything, you should be able to ask them where your money's going. I always say follow the money. You know, you know, you know. UNEP, United Nations Environment Programme, says you know it's, it's less than ten dollars a day stays less than ten dollars a day stays in the in the economy, the local economy when you travel. But you can ask these questions. Uh, you know, staying in locally owned hotels. Um, when you're booking a hotel. Um, to looking at local options um, and just asking those questions. Who owns the hotel? Where is that money going? And, um, and it's those kind of things that where you can have the most impact. And then when you get, and then when you get locally, uh, spread the wealth. Um, you know, don't go to the advised shopping stops where they give you a list because there's a good chance you're getting kickbacks and there's motivation there. Go out shopping um, at different places. Eat at different restaurants. Um, you know, use different taxi drivers, different tour leaders in different cities and towns. Um, and and that's the, you know that's the best thing you can do just doing a little bit more research and you're going to have a, it might be just a little bit more work but you're going to have a much better experience
0: fantastic that's just really great advice and I could talk about this with you for hours but we are running out of time so let's just move to our final question which is what's the most bizarre situation you've found yourself in during your travels
2: oh my goodness i mean <laughs> that, that 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 is a really open uh, open question i mean i i've had i've had so many but uh, uh, you know, one of, we, we, one of our very first tourism projects was in northern Bolivia where we kind of brought a bunch of, uh, 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 and we built a rainforest lodge with six communities that were at war previously uh, for years, uh, but came together to build this tourism project and we were, I was on my way to go out to see it for the first time. And uh, on the, on transferring out to the river when I was told, got a message that Prince Charles, was in Bolivia visiting, and he was coming out to the lodge. And as I was transferring out there, it shut down because Prince Charles was going to be visiting with his oh entourage, and I was stuck on the river with no accommodation <laughs> because I was heading to I was heading to this lodge to stay at, and they informed me that it was being shut down as I was traveling out there. Um, of course, which you know caused all kinds of issues, and I had to go back to the nearest town in the middle of the night, uh, in you know dugout canoes on the, on, on the Amazon i trying to find accommodations, but oh, I found myself in a very awkward situation.
0: <laughs> oh, look, it's been um, absolutely fantastic talking to you, and thank you so much for your time today, Bruce.
1: Bruce Poontip is just so inspiring, isn't he? I read his book, um, Loop Tale, How One Company Changed the World by Reinventing Business, and the Ford is by the Dalai Lama. And if that's given you an appetite for more ethical ways to travel, visit gadventures.com or go to our website, theworldawaits.au to see the show notes from this episode. You're listening to The World Awaits. This week is for those who want to travel solo. I've been a solo traveller on and off through the years through the Middle East, India and and in Greece and my top advice would be to choose your accommodation well. When all else fails you need to be able to come back to a safe reliable bed, be it a hostel or a fancy hotel.
0: Yeah, safety definitely first. And solo travelling is definitely a trend on the rise too. Webjet actually recently reported a 78% increase in bookings from solo travellers in the year to March 31. And many are women who either don't have someone to travel with or they just want to
1: discover the world on their own. But um, why did you choose to travel alone, Belle? Uh, there's various reasons. I mean, that trip to Greece was actually a visa run when I was in Egypt. So that saw me skipping across to what I thought was going to be a weekender in Athens. But it stretched out to include uh, a trip out to the glorious car-free island of Idra off the Peloponnese.
2: Amazing.
1: Yeah, it's just, just beautiful. And, you know, such great walks and, um, you know, it's it's an amazing spot. But what really changed solo travel for me... Um, was the arrival of uber in the middle east and that was a game changer for my safety so i use ride sharing apps because you know the number plate of the car you're getting into Mm. and when i start the trip i use the platform's share option to send my route to somebody responsible so your journey is traceable and that gives me a lot of comfort when i'm a solo traveler
0: yeah that's such great advice and while this might seem an obvious one too Be mindful of being connected, remaining and staying connected. So find somewhere to stay that has free Wi-Fi and consider where you're going and if there's mobile coverage too, in case that you find yourself in a tricky
1: situation. I think that when you're traveling solo, you also need to be able to manage your gear as well because nobody else is going to carry your bags for you. So pack with intent. And in
0: places like India, consider blending in with what you're wearing. So you're probably going to stand out anyway with your clothes or the way that you're acting, taking photos of every single thing and keep Mm. the jewellery at a minimum. And if locals aren't flashing the flesh, then you don't need to either.
1: Yeah, I've worn a fake wedding ring in the past and carried photos of my niece and nephew as my so-called children when I'm travelling in super conservative regions. I know that I shouldn't have to apologise for being a single solo woman, but sometimes, especially when language is a barrier, these are simple props that will just help you appear connected, that somebody knows where you are. Yeah, that's such great advice again. And interestingly, research by International
0: Luggage Storage Service Bounce has found that the safest country in the world for solo travellers is Japan. After travelling to Japan, I can certainly see why. It feels really secure and safe when you're there, and the locals are welcoming and helpful, and importantly, they really want you there because they understand the value to their business and economy from tourism.
1: Yeah, Japan always tops these sorts of lists. And on that
0: same research, Switzerland and Slovenia came in second and third as safest destinations for solo travellers. And the research actually found overall, when you're taking into account the bigger picture, like things like cost of travel within a country.
1: Oh, that, hang on, that rules Australia
2: now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the cost of hotels, public transport, the number of attractions, the climate and the food. Croatia is the best choice for the solo traveller. And Malta coming in as the overall second best country, followed by Slovenia.
1: Well, that makes another reason I'd love to go back to Croatia. For our second interview this week, who are you chatting to, Belle? I'm talking to Mark Thompson, a senior executive of Minor Hotels. You might know some of their brands which include Anantara, Avani, and Oaks, which is really big here in Australia. They now have 7 hotels in the Maldives, and I asked Mark, who seems to always be there, why should Australians visit the Maldives? Welcome to the show, Mark. Let's talk the Maldives.
3: Let's not only talk to the Maldives, let's go there at some point. Oh
1: my gosh, yes, absolutely. Look, we've seen the photos, the turquoise blue ocean, the sandy beaches. It's absolutely gobsmackingly gorgeous. It's the stuff of screensavers as well as dreams. Um, Now, uh, your group has a number of properties in the Maldives, doesn't it?
3: We do. We we have six, um, all very different. Um, from family from you know adventure and good timing because we're just about to launch our seventh in August so uh, so yes.
1: So, so my question is I mean you know this is a beautiful country lots of islands lots of beaches but we have gorgeous beaches here in Australia what makes the Maldives different why should Aussies go to the Maldives?
3: uh look i mean yes australia has fantastic beaches and everything like that i just think it's the experience um and the warmth of the people and the the absolute beauty of the place i call it the zoo lander of countries like it's just so ridiculously good looking um but your hospitality is bar none. And you know, this this is a country that is literally living off hospitality. So they really know how to, to look after guests. So it's the people
1: but but is this i mean is it a is it a is it like the ultimate it is the ultimate fly and flop destination um and it's pitched for a long time it's just been like the place you go for a honeymoon you know like is that it if i if i went and i've been a couple of times (laughs) um are you just surrounded by honeymooners like loving it up and taking photos of that turquoise ocean or is there more to the maldives than that
3: yeah well most of the honeymooners now have kids probably from their first trip to uh (laughs) to the to to the maldives so you know there's uh, a lot of families that come back um but also too we are seeing uh the solo traveler Um, Which hasn't really happened and I I think it's again, it's the allure of the place Um, and Yes, there are still the honeymooners and the families and things like that But there's enough to do as a solo traveler whether it's snorkeling or getting your paddy license or going uh, Diving with whale sharks. There's there's that adventure aspect to it. So it really is kind of moved from the the honeymooners um to, to kind of encompassing every traveler
1: well, that brings me to the next question. Then, do you have to have the bank balance of a Russian oligarch to visit, or do you think it's becoming more <laughs> affordable? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the first Look time I-, I went there, literally, I saw this enormous ship in the harbour at Malé, and I thought it was like I thought it was the Maldivian Navy. And then I saw these two um, very handsome-looking guys in, in naval outfits, and so I went, of course, you know, ran right up to them and said, "Are you part of the Navy?" And they said, "No, no, no, that it was it was it was actually." A Russian oligarchs ship like it had spa decks all over the joint and it was only three people and a staff of thousands on there do you know like is it that exclusive or or is it becoming more affordable
3: I think it's become a lot more affordable now. Um, I think in terms of uh, like low-cost airlines such as Air Asia, it's making it more affo- affordable. Um, I think the days of you know the five-star properties um, are kind of uh, weaning away. Um, we have just opened Avani Faris, uh, which is in the Bar Atoll. Um, which is a UNESCO site and uh, it's geared more towards the the four star or four plus but it's that more affordable uh, level now. Um, So yes there are still the the five stars and we've got the residences and the movie stars and things like that but I think in terms of moving forward it's kind of moved into to the direction where it's a, a little bit more affordable for for everybody i actually think you need to be a russian oligarch to travel in australia to some places <laughs> nowadays <like. laughs>
1: that's a very good point so if you're down if you're down in the bar at all then because i mean that's the the structure of of the maldives in every part of it each of the different areas has it has a different experience um what what are you going to see like is it it's a diving area down in
3: in the bar? Oh, definitely for the bar atoll. I mean, uh, you can go swimming with whale sharks uh, from November through to to January. You've got the uh, the manta ray season. Um, you know, for the bar atoll as well. We've got Anantariki Harbour where we've got the largest telescope in the Indian Ocean. So not only do you have that experience underwater. Um, but we have star gurus that take you through billions of years of stargazing and things like that and I was literally there just recently and it was such a clear night that you could actually see the rings of Saturn. That's how, I mean, it's just, it really is quite spectacular. So you can be as adventurous as you like or uh, or as quiet as you like. Um, but yeah, I mean, each of the, the atolls are very, very different. Um, we have... Uh, you know uh, some of our properties are only 30 minutes from Malay Airport uh, by boat Um, and you know you go coral planting or you go swimming with uh, nurse sharks and things like that so you know just it's the experiences that are really quite quite unique
1: well, I think. I mean, I think to my mind, the overwater bungalow is the is the classic Maldivian experience. I have slipped from bed, you know, straight down a, a couple of stairs and into the into the lagoon with tropical fish around everywhere. It, I mean, it is un, undoubtedly, indisputably spectacular, and that's a really great point about it being an astral. Um, an astro-tourism destination because it really is in the middle of nowhere you know Mm. um coming from australia what's the easiest way to to get across to the maldives you skip via there's no direct flights you skip you can skip via singapore um you can go via colombo in sri lanka which i think would be a great balance of two cultures what's your favorite way to get across
3: well I'm based in Bangkok so I always find it easy to, to fly from Sydney or Melbourne through to Bangkok have your nice little Thai experience um, and then you've got Air AirAsia uh, which is the low-cost airline Um, that flies twice a week over to Malay so you know it makes it that little bit more affordable and it's only a four-hour flight so but you're you're right I mean uh, I also think the Colombo route um, and a lot of surfers from Australia uh, end up going to uh, Sri Lanka do their little bit of surfing um, and then head down to somewhere like Niyama uh, which is one of the the biggest surfing spots in um, in the Maldives, and they have uh, this absolute fantastic surfing adventure.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Surfing is really taking off there, and and with discovering more breaks as well, and not just reef breaks, but also beach breaks which is not very common in the Maldives so that's I think because they've been reef breaks you know you've had to go on liverboard boats and things like that to Mm. get I mean we're talking next level surfing here which is really incredible but then you balance it again as you say with more affordable properties do you still get that that sense of that sense of it, I mean, it's such a, it's almost, you know, they trademark the phrase barefoot glamour where you're literally wearing some gorgeous bejeweled caftan with uh, no shoes on, you know, going to, 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 you know, walking through, um, through these beautiful sandy beaches without shoes and your, and your gorgeous caftans and stuff. Is it, does it retained its exclusivity or its sense of glamour?
3: oh absolutely i mean it's always difficult to put your shoes on at the end of the uh, no, holiday no, because you no. know it is the end of your holiday so i lost my
1: shoes there once actually i took <laughs> them off on the first day i arrived and never wore a pair of shoes until i left i couldn't find them i had to borrow a pair of thongs from the spa i think
3: <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you even know you're in the Maldives when uh, you're you're on a seaplane and you kind of look at the pilot because the the cockpit's open um, and even your pilot is barefoot so you kind <laughs> of know that you're you're on a, a pretty decent holiday if even your pilot has uh, has bare feet. So oh, that's
1: fantastic. <laughs> is there, um, is there, when's the best time to go? Is there an off season for the Maldives or is it just fabulous all year round?
3: No, I mean there's two seasons, Uh, there's uh, there's high season um, and then there's rainy season. I actually think it's better, I mean talking about affordability and everything like that, uh, to go during rainy season um and it does rain on on the odd day but if you do go you do expect some days to be rainy and that's where you can do your wine tasting or hang out in your beautiful villa or whatever and it's a little bit more affordable um during high season that's certainly uh, from november through to about march um your island's a little bit more busy your villas are a little bit more expensive mm-hmm. uh your wait times to do excursions are a little bit more so you know i mean pick and choose uh high season or, or relatively low season but during those low seasons you you still get the same experience um, you might just get a little bit of sprinkling on
1: no, I can. Well, if you're underwater, then does it matter if it's raining? Anyway?
3: It really doesn't it matter. Really you doesn't know, the fish, the fish don't care.
1: No, no. so now I'm, um, I'm going to wrap up this conversation with a question that we ask all our our guests. Go on. What, go up. You ready? Ready? Yeah, okay. The question is: Hold on to your pants. Uh, what is the most bizarre <laughs> travel experience you have had in all of your many, many years of travelling the world?
3: Oh goodness me well it's not the Maldives because everything's been fabulous in the Maldives <laughs> um, I I, okay so I did get drugged on a on a, a train a night train once uh, by a couple of bandidos that entered uh, my my train carriage and I had just finished reading my lonely planet book book that's how long ago it was right. um, and I just finished reading that you don't accept open drinks from anybody anyway so i accepted an open beer (laughs) because i thought it was going to be a long journey and uh yeah i uh, kind of almost passed out but uh, something kind of took over and it said wake up mark you've got to do this um and then I entered um out drinking the uh the guys so and by the end of it I was uh, teaching him how to sing uh queen songs and uh <laughs> things like that so you know um I <laughs> won Where
1: were you in? Did you mention the country?
3: I, I should I mention the country? You can
1: mention the country.
3: It was a it was a train in Spain. Train <laughs> there you go. Spain?
1: Okay. So the moral of this, the takeout is: follow the Lonely Planet advice. Do not accept open drinks from strange men on play, on trains in Spain. At and night.
3: if you do, then uh, you know. Uh, sing Mercury along to Mercury. Freddie Mercury so <laughs> Yes, there you I go.
1: Oh, thanks so much for that and thanks for joining us here. No thanks on on awaits. yeah it's great to have you here and uh, yeah see you in the Maldives soon okay
3: Absolutely.
0: The Maldives has always been high on my bucket list and it's even more so now after listening to that great interview. Thanks, Belle. If you'd like to find more about the hotels Mark mentioned, visit avanihotels.com and anantara.com and you'll find the links in our show notes at theworldawaits.au.
1: And that brings to a close The World Awaits this week. Click to subscribe anywhere you listen to your favourite pods and you can find us at theworldawaits.au. And where can people find you, Kirstie? I'm at Kirstie Writes on Instagram and Facebook.
0: That's K-I-R-S-T-I-E Writes. And where can people find you,
1: Belle? You'll find me at globalsalsa.com or Instagram on global underscore salsa. Thanks for listening. See you next week.